Welcome to Ready Layer One. This is a Web3 podcast that focuses on the near ecosystem. It's a layer one with some really awesome tech. So our show focuses on projects that are building on the near blockchain. And this week's episode, we have a project that's relatively new to the space called Hide Your Cash. Everyone immediately thinks of like a mixer, like Tornado Cash, but it's not that. They actually are really focused on a compliant version of being able to have private transactions of sending money. So exchanging money where uh, you're not as able to be tracked of like your thing. Because right, everything on the blockchain is all all open to everybody. So they're trying to give that opportunity to do that, but do it in a compliant way that is you know similar but different than some of these other mixers out there. And I think the most interesting thing with Hide Your Cash is sort of how can they mix that privacy with regulation? Um, and I, you know, they discuss it quite a bit in this episode. So uh, we hope you all enjoy. That's great. Well, thanks so much for taking the time today and kind of talking about what you guys are building. Can you just kind of give us the really super high level of what Hide Your Cash is about? Okay, so um, Hide Your Cash being really short is a crypto mixer that is that aims to be compliant with authorities and by being compliant that doesn't mean not being private but uh, but having aml aml features into it so think about tornado cash that does not want to be sanctioned kind of goes that way really short elevator pitch that would be hydro cash for our listeners, can you explain what AML is? Okay, so AML is anti-money laundry. So it's well known that crypto might have been used to, let's say, let's call it illegal activities. So we've bumped into that problem and we're trying to bring some tech into how to solve it. So AML is basically creating processes that avoid that whatever you your client is using is going to be used for money laundry or some also other illegal activities. Yeah, yeah. There you can cite terrorist financing. You can also cite smart contract hacking, which is one of our main concerns. Basically, we don't want those bad actors to be using our protocol for whatever reason. In our case, we mm -hmm. don't want them to be able to get anonymous if they have been doing wrong stuff on chain. That's the yeah. I think if, if we, we want to keep it high level, uh, if you think about blockchain, we have a transparent system. So it's created to be transparent so mm -hmm. that anyone can validate every information that you have on chain. Uh, and it's it's awesome that everyone can see what's happening, but the downside for it is that everyone knows what everybody's doing. So you can check other people's wallets, their balance, uh, who they have yeah. been interacting with. And the more you use the blockchain, the more it's likely that someone can connect your wallets to your personal, so to yourself. So uh so there was this these tools that were developed to to solve this problem we have tornado cash we have zcash we have monero and well we last year when we saw that there there wasn't any kind of of privacy tools on here we saw that it could be an opportunity since the ecosystem is has been growing a lot and we had just like developed the white paper paper it was on sunday uh, and on Monday, there was this news that Tornado Cash was being sanctioned by the OFAC on the United States. So like it, it was prohibited on the United States to use such a tool, which is a mixer. And we had to iterate on top of it. So how can we can create a tool that brings privacy to people, but that does not get sanctioned by, by the OFAC list? And it was, it had, it was sanctioned uh, because it was being used for at least financial activity, more specifically for laundering money for uh, for North Korean hackers. Yeah. So yeah, we kind of started iterating on top of it. For someone who's like non-technical, like what's a use case for, like how would I use this, right? Like I'm a, you know, like, okay, I've got a wallet, I've got some near. Where does it sit in sort of the day-to-day -day use or system, like a use case of it? So let's say, Jared, you want to pay me like 13 year in exchange for something I'm selling. Cool. Let's say you just you just bought a, like I don't know a new a new cell phone online. However, if you do pay me through your near account, let's say Jared.near, you pay me to Joao.near. The second you pay me, I'm able to see exactly every how much money you have on your account, so I can see how many USDT you own, how how much near you own. I can also see other accounts you have interacted with, and this 
might not seem like a big deal for a normal person, but if I am a person that has more analytical capability, oh. let's say a government, let's say someone that's spying someone, I'm able to actually use AI tools and other analytical tools to understand who you're related with. I can understand if, you're, if you have been paying medical bills, so if you're sick or if you're paying, if you're paying someone for illicit activities, let's say you're connected to some, I don't know, pornography website, I can expose you. Uh, essentially, this is a problem that, that does not exist on the normal banking system, at least in three countries. Yeah. Uh, no one can access your transactions unless they are the government, in, in most cases, with a judicial warrant or the, the, the bank agents themselves. On blockchain, I'm able to see everything. So let's say you're famous. I'm a reporter. I get oh, your yeah. address. I can, actually, <laughs> I can actually learn a lot of things about you that you might want to keep private. And if you think about it, Jared, let's say you're paid by your employer through crypto, let's say you buy stuff on your daily life through crypto, it's impossible not to have this feature because anyone you interact with is going to be able to learn everything about your financial life. It's a lot about your personal life as well. Totally. So it sort of sits in between like, so say, let's use your example, like uh, I'm going to pay you 30 bucks for a cell phone. You can see my wallet, which is just 80% rugs and NFTs, <laughs> so you're like, like meerkats, yeah. you know, <laughs> things like that. So, exactly. <laughs> but instead, so say I want to pay you the 30 near. Would I then go to hide your cash or is it like a plugin or like, how does this like, how does the use case of this work? Like, do I hook my wallet to hide your cash? You hook your wallet to hide your cash. That way it's kind of AML compliant because it kind of knows. And then it does the, the magic. <laughs> Sorry, I'll know. Yeah. Although, let me, <laughs> I'm not going to use the word magic. It does the, you know, hiding of your cash. <laughs> I could call it magic. Cryptography is more or less magic, right? It really is. Some of this stuff, I'm like, I don't know how it works. Yeah. Well, well. so it's, right now, there are a couple of ways to use the app. So yeah. essentially, uh, it's, on, it's an on-chain contract. So if you're talking about like the more low-level interaction, you're sending money to a contract and the contract sending the money to the final destination. Mm -hmm. so in the middle here, when the money enters the contract, it kind of gets mixed with all money from other people that are also using the protocol. And it's impossible to understand who you send the money to, and the person who received it doesn't know where the money came from. Oh, okay. On the yeah, on the front end side of things, it we have a, a web app, so it's a website where you can actually deposit your funds. It generates you some withdrawal tickets that you can use to then send them to whoever you want, and these transactions become private. And also, we actually are developing an SDK, so okay, any wallet or other app can actually integrate with our application to make their their entire ecosystem private. This is still a work in progress, but we have been talking to a lot of new wallets and with some other DeFi apps to, to try to get this, those partnerships further and implement privacy as a native thing. Because if you think about it, Jared, uh, it's like people don't know it, but when you use the normal internet, you're connecting always through HTTPS, which means your connection to the website is encrypted. And yeah. even if someone bugging your internet connection, they can't really learn what you have been doing online because it's all encrypted and mm. no one knows about this just just nerds know about this i know right and a lot of this stuff like in web 3 <laughs> is sort of like jota says like it's going back to the 90s or like early 90s of the <laughs> web where, where people are like oh yeah ht like i remember way old school days early when i was like a kid playing on my dad's computer and i had to like you know it was like a blinking dot like a blinking square and i had to type in commands like that was how like <laughs> exactly and now web 3 is like this is web 3 right now yeah Kind of. And I think sometimes people have like a web two mindset in web three where they're like, why doesn't it do this? And it's like, cause you're like years away from that sort of exactly. infrastructure. Exactly. No. And we see our protocol, frankly, as the exact same thing as HTTPS. It's like, it's obvious that it needed to be private. People don't, cool. most people don't see the real benefit because they don't understand how the network really works. Hmm. But in the future, I, I don't, I really don't foresee a crypto future where crypto is mass adopted and those security apps are not used. I mean, it's really yeah. dystopian to think that everyone can just look at what everyone has been doing with no, no kind of privacy to it. Yeah, so like a, a quick one line would be like, hide your cash is kind of like H, wait, H-P-T-T-S? H-T-T-P-S, there it is. I'm looking at it on my computer, which it even hides it on your browser, it hides that part. But that's kind of what you guys do when you encrypt that area. Okay, cool. Joe, if you want to jump in here, because I'm, you know. No, I... I mean, so I think what's really interesting you bring up, and before we get into more of the technical stuff, is that there's, I think, a disconnect between 
the ethos of crypto of being transparent and being open and then actually like what is actual privacy and so i think you hear a lot of people talk about like privacy is a human right yet like so like where is that balance and so as you are building this product and you're thinking about this like where do you see that line of like we want to keep the crypto ethos of things being more open and permissionless and transparent but we want to help preserve some of that privacy like, like where does that line begin for you guys this choice of how society is to be shaped around this technology really is a, a choice that society is going to have to make through governments and through other like centralized bodies of decision so there are a lot of ways to implement privacy features and to keep things open on the on web3 protocols the way i see as uh where i see that this right now is there are some apps which build privacy as an absolute feature so they are absolutely impossible to revert and they are totally trustless so no one can take them down hmm. those apps clearly are like the holy grail of privacy if you, if you think about it but they also carry some problems because when we talk about privacy being a fundamental right. And I'm going to talk about this because I'm also a lawyer by formation. So when you talk about uh, a fundamental right, a human right, it obviously clashes with other human rights. So until which point is privacy a, a human right if it conflicts with like the capability of the state to combat, to combat terrorism and this violence, given that like, life itself and security are also human rights. So there has to, there has to be a balance between that. And the place in which we believe, at least I believe that, that this line should be drawn, is a place at which it is possible for certain socially recognized institutions to access the, the content of transactions over a democratic and preferable judicial means. So let's say only a government after requiring it to, to a judge based on some evidence. I, I think that them, them being able to see what you've been doing isn't a desirable feature for a, a socially accepted uh, way to run crypto. But this mm -hmm. obviously also questions with uh, like which governments we trust and which we do yeah. not like. It's one thing to say that for the US government, even for the Brazilian government, it's another thing to say that for like Russian or Chinese yeah. governments. Because I really think your project kind of falls into two categories of philosophical and technical. Yeah, I mean, in terms of crypto users here in Brazil, I believe that most crypto users are just like, buying nfts and tokens just to like to try to get rich to uh, flip them yeah like, yeah like, i mean like you have like huge youtube channels that are about it yeah. <laughs> and brazil is really big on youtube and i think this is what most people are, are uh, care about and like the people that we know that don't work with web3 and crypto they are not really they don't really care about privacy yeah so i don't i don't see it as a big necessity for like for the whole population at this point uh, right now because most people are not using crypto as a like as a uh, payment mean uh, yeah. but uh, i do see crypto I, I do see like this private tool that they are important for example for institutions uh, for institutions that, that are making investments uh, for, for for example totally so yeah and it's i think at this point it's, it's more niche so, so just like more wealth people or big institutions, they are going to need this kind of tools. Agree. Uh, but in the future, I believe it's like everybody that can have access to it is going to to use it. Just like just like Apple, like Apple is bringing a lot of privacy tools. Now you yep. just like ask your app app not track, and you you can like just ask that. Uh, uh, what. It, the same thing happens with privacy. So if you have the option to be private without like without needing to do a lot of work, without needing to go to HydroCash website, you just have privacy by default on, on your day-to-day -day, uh, usage apps, uh, like people are going to use it. So, but yeah, I, I believe it's important, especially when blockchain gets mass adoption. But one thing that is curious about Brazil is we actually have like a really good quality on financial systems, mm. which is like, uh, you guys are based in the US. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like we joke. Like if you guys want, to, I don't know, you you want to send someone fifty bucks because you're you're splitting the bill, then you got a Venmo or yeah. use whatever weird right. app. We we have what the thing that is called Pix, and every bank has it. It's free to use, uh, no integration necessary. So it's super simple to that, that that simple use case of like transferring money anywhere. It's super simple in Brazil, and we got a whole universe of fintechs. So even yeah. though it's like a third world country but 
financially, and I think Joao Guerrero's is a movie that is like it's yeah. really actually really good. Yeah. So I think that might be actually not a barrier, but people sometimes I don't think they recur to crypto as means of payment because they are they already have like really great options yeah. which are hard to compete with in the current yeah. state. Totally. Yeah. And also talking about that, uh, if you think about other countries in South America, we mentioned Venezuela and we're also mentioning Argentina. These countries have been living with really high inflation for the past, let's say, 20 years. So everyone there is kind of looking to dollarize their, their savings and actually protect themselves from inflation. Brazil mm. does have a, a very high inflation past, but for the past 20 years, inflation has consistently been within boundaries. So this is not something that like the newest generation of Brazilians worry too much about. And even like the older generations, they either don't use crypto or they really just put everything in real estate. So it's not something that they are. <laughs> but I do think that like, we have a social responsibility as well, because uh, this is really hard to, to decide. It's really, I don't even think that we should be the ones to decide it, but we have to kind of understand which countries and which regulations we want to help enforce through our AML features and which we do not. Because mm. let's say uh, sanctions. So let, mm. let's say sanctions against Russia for like in the war in the Ukraine. If you think about the US, Russia is sanctioned in the US. If you think about Brazil, Brazil is one of the biggest commercial partners for Russia and almost all like fertilizers and agri yeah. agriculture inputs come from Russia. So it's not sanctioned here. So uh, it's one thing to like prohibit US citizens from using the tool. It's another to like prohibiting everyone from, pay for, uh, from making payments to Russian addresses. So this, this mm -hmm. kind of decisions are really hard and we're still uh, consulting with a lot of lawyers on, on, on how to actually structure our policies on using the app, given that it's also a decentralized app. So mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's a really, really, really hard decisions and, and really hard things to set up as a whole. Yeah, I was, I was actually going to kind of go down this route, road a little bit here. Uh, so I, you know, you, you all can better explain what your experience is, obviously, not being non-Americans, but I would imagine building something like this, the weight of American policy must be just pretty heavy in everything, whether it's appropriate or not. Um, I think you see things like what happened with the developers of Tornado Cash and the the push that the United States will you you know to kind of throw their weight around a little bit around policy. Does that make it something where you say, well, we can build for the rest of the world or is do you feel like that it's important enough where you have to take a country like the United States or maybe like some different countries like in Europe, the European Union, where you have to make sure you're always considering that because of just the actual um, weight that they kind of throw around with some of this stuff? Well, this is a really good question, Joe. And I'll give my answer, but I also let Pedro kick in because I know he's, he has a, a, some great thoughts about this. And the main thing that I feel is, well, when I said we actually don't know, this is the answer. I mean, what yeah. we're trying to develop is a new way to do AML that preserves privacy of users and at the same time tries to combat the, the problems in crypto right now. Mm -hmm. yeah. However, we see this as a way to prove a new method that is efficient for a web three based economy to guarantee privacy without allowing any kind of person to use the system or AML features. Now, is that going to be enough for regulators in the US, in China, in Germany? That is up for those countries to decide. And what we can do is, is prove a concept and throw our, our weight and that of our investors behind it. Mm -hmm. So the, the goal right now is to prove that the system works and to see mm -hmm. its adoption. We are actually uh, geo-blocking the US at, at the start and we're considering doing the same for the European Union because of those concerns. Yeah. But the goal is to actually prove that it works, prove that no one hacks the smart contracts and, and tries to launder the money to us, prove that we don't mess with, with illicit money through mm -hmm. our system. If it works, we're going to showcase that to the world. If it doesn't, we're going to lock the app, reiterate and try, and try to get a, a new version of it out. So this is kind of where we stand right now. At the same time, we have multiple hypotheses. So one of the hypotheses is a, is a product that's going to be live on, on mainnet for, for better at the end of this week, which uses an integration with Happy One. We're going to talk, be talking about this later. But you also have other iterations that are being tested and prototyped with different protocols for integrations 
which allow a, a more simple workflow to, to actually comply with authorities. And this is the yeah. version we actually want to integrate with authorities in the future, such as MetaMask, let's say. So it's something that they will allow them to comply with, with whichever regulation, let's say, the European Union, Union draws on them. So we have, we have different hypotheses, but the goal is to prove that we can have a system that's private and at the same time allows a decent amount of control to not allow anyone to just loan their money. And I think Pedro also has a strong feeling about this. Yeah, uh, we talked, I think we, we say, we said once that I really like it. It's like, it's like blockchains are countryless. So mm. even yeah. though we have uh, like str strong countries as the US uh, regulating and being like, and leading on regulation, still, if it's online, there's no way we can effectively block it. So it is hard to, to get to the point where like you get the best features for your users, but you're also super compliant. But I think we have to, as Ro mentioned, just keep iterating on top of it. There's mm -hmm. like literally no right or wrong right now. And I think just like having the mentality of like, we don't want to do anything wrong. We don't, we don't want to enforce anything bad. That's just like a good kickstarting point. Because I think this is the type of project where you really have to it's a tech project, but you really have to be aware of what's going on around the whole space. Yeah. In the last, you know, decade, the space has been a little bit of wild, wild west. Wild west. Wild, wild west is a horrible <laughs> movie. <laughs> wild, wild west. But um, I think these next, you know, obviously we're already seeing it in America, but there's going to be a lot more regulation over the next few years, and it'll come out to like, you know, hopefully a somewhat clear regulation. Because right now it is like I don't know. I guess it's cool, you know, like there isn't anything against it, so. It's good that you guys are being thoughtful about it. Yeah, and yeah, like, just uh, sorry, uh, a point is like even governments could benefit of having a private solution. Like yeah. I think it was uh, today, um, apparently there's a, an account that is owned by the U.S. government that transferred Bitcoin to a centralized exchange. Like even if they wanted to do that movement privately, they they, they I mean they can use a, a Bitcoin mixer, but they did not. So like, and now everyone is speculating, like, why is why did they transfer the funds from one account to a centralized exchange? Why that mm -hmm. happened? Why what are they doing? And then conspiracy theories and everything. Like you just like use a mixer, do your thing, and no one will complain about it. We are looking forward like for these regulations to like to go to to, to come come out because they will help us to like totally. to understand what we need to do and to actually partner to people because we are feeling that everybody is afraid of our protocol. Um, and we, we do understand, we, we have studied the law, we saw that we understand the risks that we are taking, but like other DApps that we want to integrate with, they, they don't understand and this is preventing them from inter integrating to us. So yeah. we are actually looking forward to, to see what's going, going to happen yeah. with uh, like Tornado Cash in the United States. They are on a, in a, in a lawsuit, lawsuit with the government and well, and to see everything that is going out with the regulations because this this will like model our our, our work for the next next years that's actually what, what i was going to say thanks Rob. <laughs> <laughs> another good point in here uh, so regulations good in our view so because it allows us to understand what's going on and another thing is i really find it funny because if you think about most defi protocols they're actually uh, doing things that are if you take the, the law they 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 should actually be regulated and our protocol has nothing said about it because of the way it is structured. But because of the actions that the OFAC took the, in the last year, everyone's kind of afraid of touching on mixers. Yeah. And this is also an opportunity for us because what we're developing is necessary tech that no one else is necessarily looking at because they are like thinking that this is a, is a rotting fruit. Yeah, so mm. our, this is our goal, to build protocols, iterate on lots of different things that are it could replace the, the, the previous tornado cash and Bitcoin mixers with something that's better. It keeps privacy and also adds a layer of protection against this kind of steps. And I don't think there's anything wrong with this. And to be honest, I actually think that if they talk to regulators, they would actually like what we're doing, especially because we're taking those measures anyway. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're, you're spot on with that. I mean, that's something where the knee-jerk reaction from what happened with tornado cash is probably the other extreme of that, right? So, yeah. you know, like, like I feel like I, I don't know how you guys feel personally, but I think like I think there's something still missing from that whole story, 
you know, of like, there, like why, like why, you know. Yeah, there is. We know yeah, a little that, more that, than you probably, but there's a lot of missing. <laughs> yeah. So like, so I think, so the general public and even I would say even the general crypto public probably is pro much more skittish about actually joining in and saying, okay, we want to adopt this type of technology. So yeah. as you guys are going through and trying to educate, one of the things that I assume must come up is, you know, how are you, how is it actually built in a way that starts to protect privacy? So can you kind of start to introduce a little bit of what you guys are actually doing behind the scenes to start to protect privacy? How, how far can we go technically right now? Deep dive. You got yeah, Joe here. As as Me? <laughs> Nowhere. <laughs> but you got Joe. You guys start talking about smart contracts on smart contracts. I don't know. However far you want to well, go. Yeah. So essentially, what, the, what we're doing is using zero knowledge proof to make the funds. So whenever, so as I explained before, there's a smart contract in the middle. And whenever you want to transfer money from Alice to Bob here, you first transfer to the smart contract and the smart contract in a different transaction transfers to Bob. And this, why can this be traced? Because when you deposit the funds, the contract at first, you deposit them with a secret commitment, as you call it. It's a, let's call it a withdrawal ticket. So it's a secret number that you have to use to withdraw and that anyone can use to withdraw, not only the person that deposit initially. When you deposit, you get the ticket. Lots of different people are depositing to the protocol and withdrawing all the time. And then you can actually withdraw the funds to else account by just inputting this, this code and sending it off as a zero knowledge proof to the contract. Since this is a zero knowledge proof, you actually prove that you are using a valid ticket that has not been used before to withdraw, but without revealing which ticket it is. So you can't, you don't know who sent the fund initially. Essentially, this is how you, the funds get mixed and you don't know who sent, who sent them over. So this is kind of the basic way that a mixer works. Uh, our AML feature works like at the side of this. So the AML happens because we actually have a second verification that's happening. Whenever someone deposits the funds to the contract, they actually have to go through what we call a KYT process. KYT stands for know your transactions. Essentially what this is, is you run the account that is deposited against a database of what you, let's call them crypto offenders. So mm -hmm. accounts that are implicated in money laundry, smart contract hack, OFAC lists, or any kind of wrongdoing. And essentially there's a, there are some AI algorithms from some companies, let's, call it, let's say Ellipsis, there's uh, Happy One, Vaz, a lot of different companies that provide this kind of data. And what we're doing, using, we're integrating with a smart contract provider, which is happy.one. They're actually a very cool protocol for AML on-chain. And they allow us to query the like a risk score for every single account. The risk score is, is deemed to be inappropriate. So if the account is implicated in any, any kind of, of wrongdoing, the deposits are instantly blocked. And if it's not implicated, it is accepted. So this is the, the basic way a deposit goes. And there are some other security features here too, because you could imagine, let's say, mm -hmm. I just create a new account. It's not implicated. I deposit, uh, I register in the contract. Then I hack a smart contract. And after being accepted, I just send all the money there. So, but because of the way we structure our, our ZK proofs, we actually need to prove to withdraw the funds that the initial de depositor is still in the, in the, in the allow list. But the way it happens okay. is proof zero knowledge proof. So you, ne you never actually commit the, you ne never actually reveal the initial depositor. Maybe right. my explanation is, is a little blurry. So no, I, I, I think yeah, that. no, I, I, I think I get what's going on here. Yeah. So one, I guess the first question that comes to mind, then what is actually then actually on chain? Like, like what shows up on chain during that, that transaction or set of transactions? Yeah. So during a deposit, so there's a first transaction that's called allow list. That transaction, mm -hmm. an account, uh, a request to be allow listed. And essentially our contract does a query into the, the happy one Oracle to get the, the, the risk score for the account. And if it's appropriate, it accepts it into the allow list and adds. The allow list is a cryptographical accumulator for those non-initialized in cryptography. It's just like a list. We just write the, the address name in there, but it allows us to do some cool things with ZK. And so this is the first transaction. Second transaction, the person generates a random number, which is a withdrawal ticket. 
and commits that number to the blockchain with the initial deposit, let's say transfer some USDC or some near. That, that commitment is actually a hash from the ticket. And that hash from the ticket gets included in another cryptographic accumulator, another Merkle tree inside of the contract. And when, when that happens, so th this commitment is also on the tree and can, be and can be verified. So now the third transaction comes in. I have to take the initial, the initial ticket I generated and I have to generate a zero knowledge proof. So I, pr I have to prove that I know a value which when hashed is one of the members of the, of the Merkle tree. And that's, mm -hmm. that's valid both for the, for, the, for the commitment Merkle tree, also where you store the tickets, as for the allow list Merkle tree. So that you can prove, you have to prove that the address of the deposit initially is still in the allow list because it, it, it can be excluded in case of, of wrongdoing as you explained. Like. So when you create this proof, you actually have a, a proof. So it's like a, a whole bunch of numbers that prove something mathematically. Mm -hmm. And this proof is only valid as long as you submit it with the, the receiver address, the amount of the transaction, and, the, uh, and some other metadata that was used to build the proof. So the account that sends this transaction on chain is not like else original account that deposited, nor is it Bob's final account. It is a relay account. Relay account. So that account pays for the gas and transfer the funds. And in that way, mm -hmm. we can actually transfer to a whole new account that doesn't have any year without creating any link between the like the sender and the receiver. So that's, that's how it works. That's really interesting. So one of the things I, I saw just checking out your, your product, right now, it looks like you have uh, like buckets of like where you can, how much you can put in, like where it's like, yeah, yeah I think it's like five, 10, 50. So uh, I think in the website you say like the reasoning is like, it's e easier to obfuscate like if it's those buckets. Is there a, are you working towards the ability to actually do any amount at some point? Yeah, we actually have the the code for that, like almost ready. It's like uh, we have a demonstration code for that ready. And mm -hmm. we could actually have implemented that feature instead of the one which we did. The reason we did not is because the second point at which you have like any, any amount of near or any currency being transferred actually requires a more robust like usage for it to work. So we have to mix the funds. It's very easy to mix funds if the deposits are all 10 year and withdrawals are all, all 10 year. You need like less people using the app for it to be efficient. Or if you have people depositing withdrawing random amounts, it becomes harder to work with. So this is, is in our roadmap for sure. We essentially, but what we actually aim to do more, not just like create an account that which will transfer random amount. We actually want to be able to create a fully random account. What would that mean? That means you could create a, an account, let's say, for instance, joe.hydrocash instead of .near, and that account, uh, no one will be able to see the balance of that account, which NFTs it owns whatsoever. So people could transfer to it, and no one would know that they have transferred to it, and people and could also use those assets without anyone know, knowing that you were using those assets. So mm. this is kind of the end goal. It's an account abstraction model that is fully private. And this is what we're working towards for our V2. And even though the tech is ready to do this, the actual problem is integrations with the whole new ecosystem. So we probably sure. need an NEP for that to, to be more viable and to actually have everyone understand what we're doing. It messes with a lot of things like predecessor account ID, which is going to be messed up because a lot of accounts are in the same country and so mm -hmm. forth. So we probably need an NEP for that. But this is like kind of the final view, allow people to have accounts that are fully private so that they don't even have to think about privacy. They just use them and they just work and they are safe without having to think about why yeah. they're safe. That, that, that's a, a really interesting proposition. And it sounds like, you know, not only is your guy's concept, you know, innovative in the sense that you're trying to blend these two worlds of privacy and regulation, but it sounds like you actually need a place like near to actually kind of execute on this type of technology. And from what you're saying so far, it doesn't sound like there's too many other chains right now that could really support this type of setup. Am I right on that? Well, it really depends. I mean, there are some ways to build them around other chains as well. The big, actually, on year we were the first team to actually develop a ZK verifier on year because we didn't have the tech before. So it's not like Nier has this tech ready, mm -hmm. but the thing that Nier does have is like, 
people willing to change things for for new patterns so the extremes early we could mm -hmm. actually reach partnerships do the NEP and move forward with it. Uh, however things have been changing a little since we let's look at the Ethereum on some layer twos so if you look at Ethereum we are probably going, going to have to have the account abstraction model approved in the in the next coming months and that could uh, enable such technology to exist and also actually make it a standard uh, the same thing happens if you look at Starknet, for instance, they actually allow accounts to be as contract, which also allows this. So hmm. I wouldn't say that NIR is already like uh, in the front of this run. Uh, I think if you are able to invent things faster, they might be. But uh, there are, there is tech coming up in other ecosystems that is able to to implement this as well. It all depends on like gas cost and other things. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's what I mean. It kind of sounds like a little bit of like this is obviously trade off with different cast fees, anything else. Uh, the account model piece is interesting, where you know, having the ability to possibly do some kind of account abstraction where you, you know, going through your service is its own type of setup and own type of account. You know, to me, does that start to change though like what your role is where you're distributing you know you're having accounts through your protocol or is this all do you feel like that's all part of the same thing like it just it strengthens what you're trying to do from transaction to transaction in my view it does strengthen it because i mean account abstraction is already something lots of people are talking about mm -hmm. there's actually two ways to look at it one way is the one you mentioned so like Protocols have to implement their abstractions and people have just followed them. Another one is to actually allow anyone to create their account models. And considering we're into decentralized, busy and decentralized web, I really think that the second option should be the standard where people can create a content. Mm -hmm. And we'd be providing a service that allows people to do this. And we could even like have multiple services. If you think about regulation, as we we're talking about, we could have services that actually require you to be, to, co to comply with a certain type of regulation, let's say, US-based wallets actually have a, a some standards and, and a, a different policy than like a EU, EU wallet or a, let's say, a Brazilian wallet. So we could actually do different mm -hmm. things. But I really think like in this space, we should, we should have like private providers building those this tech and not like the protocol itself. Because we can actually iterate on this in a lot of different ways, even ways that don't include ZK that use different technologies. And I think the best way for the private actually have people iterating and trying different things. Yeah, no, I I think that that's that's a great answer. I mean, it's it is definitely what's needed more of of just people at least even just trying because, like you said, I mean, being able to come in and you know start doing the first bit of zk work really on chain, I think is really important for everybody just for other projects as well. One thing though that comes up too is uh, how is someone's curious about let's say you know why not just put this on a private shard and i think i know what your answer is going to be but can you talk a little bit about like why this is different and why this is, is not something you just say well we'll just put this on a private shard and and the calamara like this has to be actually within the actual main protocol yeah there, there are two reasons for this so the first reason is that uh the way that a private shard is private is different than what we're talking about here when we mentioned privacy. So a private shard is a shard that is actually owned by someone and that complies with that person's rules. It doesn't mean that transactions are really private. So most private shards actually are as transparent as regular New Year's, so they don't provide privacy. And so this is the first point. The second point is even if they did provide privacy, this is like a site change slash layer two. You can actually, with interact with it, but there's always a delay and always a, a loss in doing so. And they believe that there's a space, like you actually need to have protocols that can be in the main chain that you can actually, have in, sorry, you'd have to be able to interact with those protocols, with main net protocols, on-chain protocols, privately without having to do a, like a whole bridging scheme just to do a simple transaction. Right. Yeah. And I don't think it's very efficient to do this through layer two side chains or any other solution of that source sort you could also do this through octopus if you implement like a a substrate based machine that actually uses zk but again that would require bridging two ways and i don't feel like this is an optimal solution 
Yeah, it sounds possible. like if you go the bridging route, right? Like, I think you run into probably two issues. One is now you're supporting whatever issues that might come through with the bridge itself. And then two, you run a risk of having your privacy broken at some point through that bridging process, right? Yeah. So, yeah. No, I think that, that it's it's a really interesting thing. So when you start to go and talk to potential partners and people to start to integrate, what is what does that look like for, for your team and for the other team? How are you starting to approach that with, with groups? Yeah, I think I can jump on that. Uh, so we, we have been mostly talking to wallets on year. Mm-hmm. And well, some stuff that we have noted is first, privacy doesn't seem like something that that is priority. Uh, I mean, all these all these teams they have their backlogs, uh, and they are focused on bringing new users. And well, privacy is not necessarily is the feature that is going to bring new users. So uh, this is the first thing that we we did understand, and what we are trying to do to 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 overcome this objection is like building really easy to integrate tools. So the SDK that we are building, uh, so that like the teams they can do it in a very simple way, uh, and this can become a, a feature that is simple to integrate. And well, in the beginning, we do believe that this is like is going to be a differential, but like some some years from now, this is going to be a must-have feature. So all, all the apps are going to need it. Uh, what we feel is that like there are some people that are really passionate about privacy. So like. These cyberpunk guys, uh, libertarian guys, they are really interested in. They they are like every day talking to me on Telegram. Okay, uh, how, how, when is the app going to mainnet? Uh, we want we want to start it. You need to integrate it with everyone on here. Everybody needs to to have your app because we need privacy. Uh, and when we talk to these partners, this is but this is what showed like they are interested. They they really like our concept. They they like what we are doing. And when we explain everything that we are explaining to you right now about the importance of privacy, they do, they do, uh, they do agree with us and they like it. The problem is like their users are not that concerned about privacy. So if their users are not that concerned about privacy, this is not a a, a priority for them, and this is a hundred percent understandable because you do need to focus on what your client needs and what's going to bring more more users to to your to your front. Uh, we have also spoken to Sweatcoin. Uh, mm-hmm. with, and uh, you want to jump on that, Jasso? Because like we were like thinking about how can we bring privacy for yeah. their D app. Yeah. So one of the important things to understand about privacy, as Prof was saying, is people don't know it's important. And so it's hard for a developer that works on blockchain to have realized by by themselves that there is a privacy problem when you look at an open ledger. Uh, so if we're talking to the wallets, most of the wallets like employees or founders didn't know about this problem. So if mm-hmm. they don't know about it, how can they expect their users to? So that's not one priority. Uh, if you think about some, if you, if you think about some chains, if you think about, about Bitcoin, for instance, when you learn to use Bitcoin, people tell you about Mix because everyone in there is super like privacy savvy. Ethereum has a more or less like, divided community, so a lot of people are wor- worried about it. A lot of people don't know about it. And here. Uh, Nia has always focused on ease of use. It's a different chain, and, and it doesn't really have a huge user base yet. So, because since and since private savvy people are the minority, uh, so it's there are very few private people, uh, private privacy focused people on here as at this point. So this makes it hard hard to to go to the first pieces, which is to find the early adopters and make them use the app and and make it a, like an extra feature for wallets. So what we thought is how can we bring this to the masses uh, once and for all and, and kind of use protocols that need to comply with regulations that are worked with GDPR and other kinds of regulations to actually uh, use our tools. So we thought Sweatcoin because Sweatcoin is is the, the largest app on here at this point in transaction yep. volume. So we had a chat with them and essentially we're trying to find this, those big partners and try to see how we could help them implement uh, ZK features for privacy in their apps. So essentially we're talking to them right now, we have some ideas they are probably going to require us to actually work on, on their code. It's not going to be like a clear integration with either cache. It's, more, it's going to be more of a, a change in their protocol to adapt it to use privacy. But the important thing here is understand that this protocol, Hydro Cache, is not simply the contract that we have right now. We're actually 
creating, like I, I just mentioned, a lot of different uh, iterations and different hypotheses of how a, a, a privacy-enabled and AML-enabled web tree could look like. And there are also experts seeking out uh, larger projects that, that want to have privacy features and they're actually offering to build it for them if they're interested. So we're doing this with Sweat, where we have been also offering the awards to do the integration ourselves if they're if they're if they're interested in having it as a as a killer feature in the app. So the way we are going after this is to actually on the on our first integration of first clients on the B2B side to do things for ourselves to, to actually make it easy for them so that people can see the value and start flocking over to different applications. If you think about Apple, as we just mentioned, Apple was implementing privacy features like 20 years after, after first launching the iPhone, because now it is a differentiator because now people are worried about it on sure. like a browser level. Mm -hmm. And I believe that implementing those features is always going to bring you some kind of audience. I mean, if you think about Tor and other privacy tools that have always existed on the, on the internet, they always had the user base. So if, I feel like protocols could really benefit and attract a certain audience with it. Uh, just don't know if that audience is large enough at this point on the year to justify that for, for most projects. But sure. if they are interested in trying it out, we are willing to do it with them. And we think Sweat could benefit because they could actually do kind of an Apple approach and, and show that they are privacy savvy in like their, their user app for users that are not crypto savvy. And that could actually make users worried about other walk towards apps that don't have the same guarantees. So we kind of look yeah. this as a way to have a differential from a competition right now. This is what you're sure. trying to sell those products. Yeah, yeah. There, no, I, that's really interesting. Yeah, there is also the like the lack of uh, legal security. There, this mm -hmm. is a concern yeah. that most projects have been uh, have been showing to us. And well, I believe that we are early on the privacy on privacy. If you talk about privacy on blockchain, uh, and especially on year because year is a, a a young blockchain. So we do not foresee that like a, a big success uh, on our first month and our maybe our first years maybe, but we do foresee that like privacy we see privacy as, as a long term trend. So this this is the opportunity that we are like we are chasing uh, is to like to be early and to understand the tech and to start iterating of the, with the market and checking who are the players, what are the use cases that cares about privacy. And well, by the time that these get mass adoptions, we will be very well positioned, and well, hopefully, we'll have we'll get a big part of the market. And one thing that's important in what Rafa just said is if you think about all the objections to our product, they are all overcomable. So if you think about okay, so regulation, we just have to comply with regulation to develop a product that complies with it. If you think about uh, like user experience, just make it better. We can iterate on top of it and make it better. If you think about a lot of things, we actually do have the solution right now for, for the legal problem, for instance. We have a, a fork of our protocol that is actually able, to, where the, the owner of the protocol, so let's say we're going to be run, run this with Minear Wallet. So the owners of Minear Wallet would actually be able to see all the transactions and report that to the government if needed. So they could actually use this feature without any problem. So it's, it's really a matter of educating people and having people want to be there. But they're sure that in this market, we are going to be able to deliver a product. It's just a matter of time until we, the market actually adopts it. And, we're sure, and Rafa hopes they're going to be there. I'm sure we're going to be there with one of the main products because we're in here from the start and we're actually iterating on, on the problems that we have. No, I, I great point. I mean, I think it's so important that you highlight in the part of just getting it out there and let people start to experience it as well is so important because sometimes you don't really realize what you don't have until you have it right and then yeah. I think the other side of it is of just being able to see the feedback from from people right of just being like like where you can then start to iterate and build out your product is, is i think a huge advantage and that's why i think sometimes being early is most important just because of the user feedback never mind about just being first yeah and it's it's hard to to build something without a user base because mm. then it's mostly based on what we think and yeah. not actual user research. Once you have an, a, a real user base, you can at least talk to them. Um, is there anything else you guys want to share before we wrap up here? Just like any last bits? Because I, I, one area I really liked is the education aspect, because I do think there is such a delta between what people understand. Like mm -hmm. Web2 kind of abstracts the education away, like it kind of does it for you. Like you get privacy and you don't know how or why. Like most people have no clue how computers or internet works. 
And even like younger generations don't even know how to like save files because they're all on iPads and stuff, right? Like that's actually like a, a thing that's starting to happen. And with Web3, it does, you know, you're kind of have your own keys and there is an account abstraction happening, but being able to educate people on what this is and how it's not the same as maybe another project, you know, and things like that. So I look forward to that educational part for sure. Yeah. And so what you just mentioned is actually important because if you look at like GDPR and other privacy regulations that they just came out and people are, were very unaware of them until like two years ago. Yep. So it's always necessary to keep educating and also that what we consider privacy is going to evolve. So we're talking about HTTPS, but if you talk about like cookies and other user tracking, those are newer ways in which our privacy was being like, like destroyed and people just became, became aware of this like a couple of years ago. So this is all as an ever evolving thing. And so we also aim to educate like business leaders. So not only mm -hmm. the final user, but also people that are behind the apps that are behind like maintaining the protocol because when they also come to understand better the, the privacy problem and why it hinders the further development of blockchain, I feel like it's going to be easier to, to develop features for them and to actually have more defined integration on top of like being private. Great. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's definitely an exciting time right now to be building. So. Cool. Well, um, awesome. So let's on that end, we can wrap this up and just, I uh, really appreciate you guys taking the hour to sit here and talk to us about your project. It's really cool. And to like dive into the technical aspect, philosophical aspect, regulation aspect, really interesting stuff. So thank you guys so much. I look forward to seeing what, how this evolves and, you know, users feedback and all that. Yeah, I think just wrapping up, well, we are going to mainnet like in a, in a couple of days, I believe. Uh, we are just finishing to some major corrections, some of some major bugs and uh, smaller bugs as well. And front end bugs, not contract. Huh? <laughs> Important to say front end bugs, not contract. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And well, hopefully you we can we can we we'll share it with you, it with you guys for sure and uh when when is the podcast going to 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 youtube uh, if there's a day that works for you guys uh we can try to time it okay yeah and uh i would like also to thank you guys for the opportunity it's really nice it was a really nice conversation uh, i i think everybody here we like to talk a lot about what we are building and all the aspects that evolves it so thanks guys it was it was a really pleasure for us yeah, yeah was, really thank nice. you for coming on. Yeah, thank Appreciate you. Appreciate Thanks for inviting us, guys. Really love it. Ready Layer One is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only, without any express or implied warranty of any kind, including warranties of accuracy, completeness, or fitness for any particular purpose. You should not make any decision, financial investment, trading, or otherwise based on any of the information presented in this podcast without undertaking independent due diligence and consultant and consultation with a professional broker or financial advisory.